My name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and uh, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, would love to uh, down front after the service. Um, so before I kind of dive into my message this morning, I just want to kind of take off the uh, preacher cap and put on the um, staff member of FB, or of um, AHUMC um, this morning and give you a little financial update, okay? We're kind of committed here. Uh, we decided a couple of years back, you know what, we're not... We're not really going to do a stewardship campaign uh, in-house through the messages like we maybe traditionally had here, but instead we're going to give these quarterly updates just to kind of fill you guys in and let you know kind of what's going on with us financially. So here's the really good news. We're three months into 2019, and we are in really good position. Um, Our revenue for operations is up 16% over budget. That's awesome. Uh, we are, yeah, we are 5% over our uh, receipts for the first quarter of last year. So again, really good news. Um, our expenses are right around what we had budgeted for the first quarter. Um, missions and capital expenditures funds uh, and their receipts are about where we kind of anticipated um, that we would be at the end of the first quarter. Through March, we have received $2.22 million in building connections contributions. Uh, That's towards a total cost of 3.6 million. So our contributions there continue to help keep uh, costs lower on our building loan, interest costs, things like that. Uh, Also of good note is that a recent special Easter offering brought in $12,000 and that's gonna be used to help under-resourced families in our local communities with things like food and clothing and other emergency resources, so thank you for that. Um, as you know, we're, gonna, we're steamrolling towards summer months, and so we just want to encourage everyone um, to continue uh, attending, to continue giving, um, even through the summer months. I know that sometimes things get a little crazy during the summer. We find ourselves very busy, and we find ourselves here, there, and kind of everywhere. Um, it looks like maybe a little bit that, of that has even started this morning, <laughs> but we just encourage you to, uh, to stay involved here as much as possible. Um, there's some good things happening this summer, and one of those things um, that's happening is this new sermon series that we are in. Um, the church staff, um, those in leadership, really committed this year uh, in 2019 to saying, you know what, um, instead of picking like individual three and four and five week sermon series to work through uh, in 2019, we really want to commit to just expository preaching, just really opening up the Word of God and, and reading it and seeking to understand what's written together. And so as a kind of a first uh, way of doing that, we're uh, working our way through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, um, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is going to carry us all the way through the last week of July. So we're going to be in this for a little while, and then we're going to take just a short break, and then basically we're picking up a a new series that's going to work us through the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So as you can imagine, that's going to take uh, several months to get through. But I think that's exciting. It's going to be an exciting journey to be on together. I hope that you're excited about it. I'm excited about it. We'll have Bible reading plan and other resources that will work in conjunction with that. And so uh, good stuff to come. Now, ironically... Uh, these next few weeks, we're basing sermons off of a sermon. Uh, we've already alluded to it this morning. You'll see the mountains behind me. I'm not sure if those are exactly what the mountains look like that Jesus taught on. Probably, yeah, probably not, probably not. Although I did hear uh, this week on the news that we have a, a gentleman here who's from here in Cincinnati 
who is attempting to climb Mount Everest. He's actually there right now documenting his trip. And so that kind of got me excited because I was looking back here thinking about Mount Everest. But uh, so Jesus wasn't on top of Mount Everest, but he was on a mountainside and he was launching um, his ministry, his earthly ministry. And as a way of doing that, he had everyone kind of sit down on the mountainside and he began to teach. And again, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 records those words of Jesus. So if you went out and told your neighbor this week, hey, come to church with me next Sunday because Jesus is delivering a sermon, you wouldn't be that far off, okay? So that would be kind of a fun thing for you to invite uh, your friends and neighbors to, and we're going to be there for the next several weeks. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount gives us insight as to what, the, you see there the words under there, the kingdom life, as to what the kingdom of God is like, and more specifically, what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. What does it mean to live the kingdom life? In his sermon, we hear Jesus talk of Christian courage, of compassion and reconciliation, of integrity in the face of temptation, and of witness for truth and justice. In God's kingdom, there is no kind of walking a fine line or riding the fence on things. There's no room for questions like, well, now how close can I get to sin without actually sinning? We used to joke in student ministry that that's what students always wanted to know uh, in regards to like dating relationships and in regards to different things like, well, how far is too far? Like how close can I get to that edge, to that line without actually being sinning against what God desires for me? And we're like, you're kind of asking the wrong question. But we do that sometimes as human beings. We ask that question like, how far can I go without being too far? And that's not what it's about. In God's kingdom, motive and intent matters just as much as action itself. A citizen of the heavenly kingdom is marked right here by a changed heart. God's kingdom is real and attainable, but you know what? We have to seek after it. And in Matthew 6, Jesus alludes to that a little bit. Uh, for those of you who were here last Sunday, you may remember that I shared the Apostle Paul's words from his letter to the Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read it again this morning. This is verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And you'll remember, he said, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to understand that what matters most in this world is knowing Jesus Christ, being able to identify oneself with him. And Jesus kind of begins his Sermon on the Mount in a very similar vein. Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount by basically answering this question. What does a citizen of the kingdom of heaven look think, feel, act like. So if I was to describe for someone else, this is what a citizen of the kingdom of heaven looks like, Jesus is going to give it to us right here in this first few verses of chapter 5 of Matthew. Jesus makes several pronouncements here, and we call these pronouncements, at least we've come to, be, to know them as, beatitudes. This is from the Latin word for happiness or blessedness. You may remember in uh, Psalm 1 that the writer talks about the blessed man. And this is kind of it. Like the person who is blessed 
will live this way. Jesus teaches that blessings come from living a life of submission and obedience to God, where God allow or where God is freed up to reign in a person's heart, in a person's life. And so let's get at it. Here it is. Matthew 5. I'm going to begin actually in verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Beatitudes describe this kind of ideal disciple and, and the ideal disciple's rewards, both present and future. The person whom Jesus describes in this passage has a different quality of character and lifestyle than those who are living outside the kingdom. So a citizen of the kingdom of heaven should be recognizable. Jesus says later that we will know them by their fruit, the fruit that their life produces, by their character, by their attitude, by the way in which they live. When we live a kingdom beatitudes kind of lifestyle, others sit up and take notice. And this is just what Jesus wants, as we're going to see in next week's teaching, where Jesus talks about being salt of the earth and light of the world. He wants us to live a certain way so that others see him in us and through us. So again, what does this person look like? So I want to break down each of these beatitudes just, just a little bit, just bring some applications to it, okay, one at a time. And the first is this, the poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This one is one of those that as a kid I can remember kind of threw me off. Like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I would think a person would want to be rich in spirit. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, the message, I'm going to use kind of the message transliteration to help us flesh out and understand each of these a little bit. And the message transliteration reads this way. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I really like that. In other words, God blesses those who are aware of their utter need for God and who open themselves up to him. So what should my desire be based off of this beatitude? My, my desire should be very simply, it should be very simply him. More and more and more and more of him. Like, I can't get enough Jesus in my life. I've had the privilege of, of talking and connecting with several of you over the last few months individually at different times for different things. 
And I know that God is doing a work here in the lives of individuals, that God is doing a work in the hearts of individuals here at Anderson Hills, where he's giving them that hunger, that desire for more and more and more of himself. Like as soon as you live into him this much, you want to be living into him that much more. And that's what this is talking about. Poor in spirit. I am, I am poverty stricken, Lord, so fill me up with you. Jesus then says, blessed are those who mourn. Again, the message transliteration reads this way. It says, you're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. So specifically, we are to mourn over sin and suffering and, and really the present condition of this world in which we live in. When I see the sinful condition that this world is in, it should bother me. I should have a burden for the helpless. I should have a burden for the hopeless. I should have a burden for the lost people around me. God comforts me, but my relationship with God should also compel me. It should also make me want to do something about the sinful lost condition of this world. My desire should be to see the world saved, to see the world be able to shed the weight of sin and guilt and shame. Don't you ever just kind of walk around? Maybe it's in your place of work, your place of business. Maybe it's at your school. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe you just, I, just this week, I, I was on two separate occasions. On two separate days, I had gone for a jog. And let me, let me just ensure you, it's a jog. Okay, it's not a run. Uh, I had gone for a jog in my neighborhood and passed by people. And you know how sometimes you pass people and you, like, you start way off making eye contact because you're waiting for them to make eye contact so that you can... Okay, some of you probably don't do that. Some of you are probably the people I passed this week where your head is to the ground and you don't want to focus on them because you don't want to say hi. Come see me afterwards. But, uh, you know, like I'm looking ahead, waiting to make eye contact with these people and, and a couple of them, I never, they never looked up. And so I literally had to say, hi, how are you? You know, in my kind of out of breath kind of voice or whatever. And they were like, oh, hi, fine, you know, whatever. But I, just, I feel like there's so many people walking around in this world with just their heads down to the ground, just their heads hung in, in shame and in guilt and whatever. And I don't know, I don't proclaim to know what those people are dealing with, but it just seems like this world is so just lost and just confused and just kind of down, right? And, and I just want to look for every opportunity to be able to pour life and light into people. And that's really what this is talking about. It's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And the message transliteration reads this way. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment that you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Hmm. So meekness is kind of similar to humility. God blesses those who possess the humble strength to submit to difficulties, knowing that in everything, God is in fact working for good. The meek are those who think not less of themselves, but rather of themselves less. That's who the meek are. And if I'm meek, if I'm living my life according to this beatitude, then my desire should be to serve and not to be served. Just like Jesus said, hey, I have come into this world to serve and not to be served. My desire should be to put the needs of others before my own. 
It's interesting, isn't it, how when we take that low position, we would think it'd be the opposite. We would think, well, if I take the high position, then I'll be able to see everybody out there. And it's actually the opposite. Like Jesus turns the tables. He flips everything upside down on that. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's just Jesus saying, hey, you know, everything you ever believed, yeah, I'm going to totally turn that upside down. I'm going to flip all of that on its head. But Jesus says, no, actually, if you want to be able to see others, if you want to be able to see their needs, see their wants, see their desires, see their, their heart bleed, then you're going to take a low position. And then you'll be able to see. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this one should be pretty self-explanatory. The message transliteration reads this way. It says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal that you'll ever eat. My greatest desire should be to love and honor God. I should want to live right. I should want to live a life of obedience. My desire, my first and greatest desire should be to honor God with how I live my life. That others would, as I said earlier, look at me, but see him. That should be my single greatest desire. What is righteousness? It's, it's living right. It's right living. And that's what I should hunger and thirst for, to live according to his plan and his purpose. I found in my life that everything else kind of just falls into place when I seek to live righteously, when I seek to live as he would have me to live, when I seek to be obedient to his word and to his truth, then other things just kind of, they kind of fall into place. They kind of happen the way they're supposed to. And so then Jesus says these words, he says, blessed are the merciful. Again, the message transliteration reads this way. It says, you're blessed when you care because at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Grace is giving someone what they do not deserve, and mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. And those who extend mercy to others are blessed by God with the very thing that they offer. So our desire should always be to extend mercy. Our desire should always be to forgive. Has anybody been um, tuning in to the uh, um, Les Miserables uh, television series that's on, uh, oh, what's the, it's like PBS, CET, kind of whatever. Anybody? Okay. So if you haven't yet, I would, if you love the Broadway show, if you love the movie, if you love that story, if you love the book, tune into that. It's a well-done series kind of based on that. But I think about that Jean Valjean character. Is anybody even, I mean, is anybody going to resonate with this at all? Does anybody know who Jean Valjean is? Okay, amen. Whew. That was, I was getting ready to go somewhere where nobody had gone before. That was interesting. I felt like Neil Armstrong for a second. So anyway, um, like Jean Valjean just like has his life kind of flipped upside down. He's a, he's a thief. Um, he's stolen. He's been in prison for literally years of his life. He's finally let go to some extent. And he basically... Uh, has an instance where he ends up staying in the house uh, of this bishop or, or whatever, pastor, reverend, priest, and steals from him in the middle of the night because he's desperate, and he gets caught, and then when he's brought back and, and, and the stuff is laid out there, it, the base, basically the, the bishop or whatever just says, oh, I gave him that stuff to take. It was his. I told him to take it. And he shows him this incredible amount of mercy, but then he challenges Jean Valjean, from this moment forward, you belong to God. And you are to extend that same mercy to every, anyone and everyone you come in contact with. 
And so that's how he seeks to live his life. And I just think, man, when I think about the mercy that God has shown me through his son, Jesus Christ, I mean, wow, how much do I, and, and yet sometimes, I'll be honest, mm, I'm not there, right? Like people do things and it's just very, I, I'm very quick to judge. I'm very quick to jump on, on, ban, on the bandwagons with people who are like down on other people and being negative about things and stuff. And man, like I gotta, I gotta get on board with that, right? Be merciful as he is merciful. The next is the pure in heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. The message transliteration reads this way. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Those who have an undivided love for God will be blessed. Only then will we truly be free to love others and to love ourselves. So my desire in this one is to see the world the way God sees it. There are days I'm not really sure that I want to. (laughs) There are days when I fight that, like, oh God, if I could only see the world, no, then I'd be really convicted. But I mean, seriously, like we should be able to want to look through that same set of lenses that God looks through. We should want to see people the same way in which God sees people. That's what it means to be pure in heart. The peacemaker, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. The message reads this way, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. So are you a steward of God's peace? Do you carry his peace around with you? Do you leave situations more peaceful than when you came into them? Our uh, minivan has a really annoying feature. It's supposed to be for safety, but to be honest with you, it's just annoying. In that if someone comes to the van and pulls the door handle before the door is automatically unlocked, the alarm, the, you know, that starts honking, makes the alarm sound or whatever. The, and uh, my kids, so many times, we've been walking out of places, you know, shopping places, restaurants, whatever, and they'll get to the van and they'll just tug on that door handle and all of a sudden, and I'm like struggling to find the key, right, and get it off and it's so annoying. But when I, when I think about that noise, like how annoying that noise is, maybe some of, for some of you it would be like a smoke alarm or you're an alarm clock in the morning because you want to stay in bed or whatever that most annoying noise in the world is for you. Think about that noise going off in the lives of the people around us. And when you walk in, it's like you have the clicker. It's like you have the ability to silent, to bring silence, to bring peace into someone else's disorder. And that's really who we are. That's who we're called to be. We're to be that clicker for people. Oh, your life sounds like, let me me silence that for you for a minute. Let me bring that peace into your life. My desire should be to be a bringer of peace. And then Jesus says, blessed are those, and this is the one that I just really don't like, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And he goes on and, and, and spells that one out a little bit further. The message transliteration reads this way. He says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Those who suffer persecution on account of their relationship with Jesus Christ will inherit, the Bible says, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. And so my desire is that I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit, so on mission 
for Christ, so obedient to his great commission to make disciples, so passionate about his message that it provokes persecution in some way. Hmm. I should want to be hated. I should want to be despised. I should want to be ridiculed. I should want to be rejected because my desire to love and serve and live for Christ is so strong. That's tough, especially in the time and generation that we live in, this culture of comfort. I mean, our students all the time, we had this discussion Wednesday night with our middle school students, the whole judge thing. Don't judge. That sounds judgy. Don't, don't offend. And, and yes, I'm not saying go out there and be offensive on purpose. But man, go out there and live for Christ. Go out there and hold that baton, right? Wave it around. Let people know this is who I am. This is what God desires. And be, and be proud of that. And if persecution comes as a result of that, then so be it. So here's the deal, church. God blesses those who live according to God's word. We need to open our hearts to God. We need to open our hearts to God's truth. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Christ. We need to live a life characterized by these beatitudes that Jesus gives. The Apostle Paul said it this way. This is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 6. He says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Set your heart on things above. That's who we are to be as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, as a citizen of the United States, we should be able to tell anyone from any foreign land exactly what it is that we believe and what makes us who we are. And it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be ready with an answer for anyone who wants to know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a part of his kingdom, to live a kingdom life? Let us pray. God, we thank you um, for words that are straight from your lips, for the red letters of the Gospels, for the very words that Jesus spoke when he was here on earth and in his earthly ministry. And God, we thank you that over the next several weeks, we get to break them down. Study each of them. God, you, there's so many rich teachings contained in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. God, so many challenging things are taught there as well. And so, God, may we wrestle with each thing that you taught us. And God, first and foremost, may we do that with these Beatitudes. May we look through this list as we go about our week this week and say, you know what? On that one, ah, I'd rate myself a five or a six. But on this one, I'm more like a one or a two. And I need to, I need to get some, some of that in my life. God, for me, it's the peacemaker. 
God, walking into every situation that I find myself in, looking for opportunities to bring peace, not just upon myself, but upon those in which I do life with. God, peace at work, peace at home, peace in my relationships. God, what is it for these folks out here? God, convict them in their hearts of, of where they can grow in their relationship with you and where they can grow as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May we all be marked by you. And it's in the precious name of Christ I pray.